Friday, June 7th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And if you're a little confused about the date, especially if you listened to our NFC West podcast already, uh, we're recording this a few days ahead because Jared here is about to take a week off. Jared, why don't you tell us what you're going to be doing with this time? I'm going to get away from the computer for a week, which will be nice. Um, yeah, we're, we're heading, we're flying into Calgary. We're going to go south to uh, Glacier National Park and then head up north to Banff. So we're just going to be doing some hiking. Um, hopefully I don't get eaten by a bear or anything. And anything anything you see on the site the next week that you don't agree with, uh, it's, it's Matt's fault. It's totally me. I can't wait to move guys around and get Tyler Lockett a little higher in the wide receiver rankings. Before Jared leaves us, we're going to hit the fourth division in our projections breakdown series. We have already dug into the AFC East, the NFC East, the NFC West. Now it's time to hit the AFC West, where last year's champion already booted its workhorse running back. Now it might have to move on without one of the league's top playmakers at receiver. We have a Raiders team that just made three first-round picks. We have a Broncos organization that's run by a quarterback, yet can't seem to have any clue about how to evaluate quarterbacks. And we have Phillip Rivers. So, Jared, let's jump in with the Denver Broncos. And probably the most relevant set of coaching changes because they have a new head man. Vic Fangio gets his first turn as a head coach in the league after 19 years as a defensive coordinator across five teams. Yeah, so like you said, he's a defensive mind. Um, he hired Rich Scangarello. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. That's right. <laughs> as offensive coordinator. Scangarello has never called plays at the NFL level. He did spend three of the past four years working under Kyle Shanahan, one of those in Atlanta, two in San Francisco. So, you know, that that's sort of encouraging. He's, he's coming from, from a strong offensive mind. But again, you know, hasn't called plays, so a bit of a wild card. Yeah, and I mean, Scangarello has been a, a coordinator before, but he's been a coordinator at Wagner College on the FCS level, Northern Arizona, also FCS, Millsaps College in D3, California Davis on the FCS level, and Carleton College, which is another D3 school. So lots of coordinator experience. I think it's going to be a little bit different coordinating an NFL uh, offense. Five of his eight offenses, by the way, had more rushing attempts then pass attempts among those stops. There was one other where it was separated by just nine attempts. So I'll be curious to see what a Scangarello offense looks like here. But when you combine that with a defensive head coach, it's pretty easy to see plenty of running in Denver this year. Right. And I've read some stuff too. I'm not sure the exact connection, but I've read some stuff about how it's sort of a Gary Kubiak-esque offense in Denver um, that they're kind of installing here. And, you know, Kubiak is sort of known for his running game. So yeah, last year's Broncos passed right around 60% of the time. They ranked 11th in the NFL in pass rate. I have them coming down about two percentage points this year. So right around league average, 57.5%. Like you said, um, you know, defensive minded head coach. And I think Scangarello might want to lean towards the run anyways. Yeah, it certainly makes sense for Gary Kubiak to be in there. I mean, the the Kubiak-Shanahan coaching tree is like a wreath. They all <laughs> go back to Mike Shanahan and Kubiak played under him and coached with him. And Kyle Shanahan was on the same staffs with Kubiak. So all that makes sense. I, I landed at 55-45 for a pass-run split here because uh, I didn't want to go overboard with the run. But I really think that Denver, when you combine all the stuff we mentioned and the fact that they have – a Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman backfield versus Joe Flacco and a bunch of young dudes at wideout. I think it all lends itself to this team running as much as it can. Yeah, and I, I think the defense would, would be pretty good this year, and it should be you know a, a competitive team at least. You know, maybe like an eight and eight type team. So they shouldn't be playing from way behind in most of their games, which which always helps the run rate. On to QB notes, and really my QB note here is that Joe Flacco sucks. I mean, the guy's got a career 3.7 touchdown rate. He has topped that number four times in 11 years. The last time he did was 2014. 6.7 career yards per attempt. 61.7 completion rate, which is good compared to his other numbers. And in 2018, those numbers that I just mentioned would have ranked 29th, 28th, and 25th among all quarterbacks. Joe Flacco is not an upgrade over Case Keenum. Might even be a downgrade. 
Yep, I agree with that. And you know, from a fantasy perspective, he has he he's rarely, if ever, finished as a top twelve fantasy quarterback. And I know in the last four seasons now, he hasn't finished any better than nineteenth among quarterbacks in fantasy points. Yeah, not interested. Running back notes: Philip Lindsay, however, gets interesting. So, uh, Jared, I want to turn it over to you first for the case <laughs> against Philip Lindsay. All right, I mean, so for starters, the guy was awesome last year. Um, he had he turned in top four marks in NFL history by an undrafted rookie running back in rushing yards with 1,037, rushing TDs with 9, 35 catches, all top four all-time by undrafted rookies. Um, finished the season 13th among running backs in PPR points. He was ninth in PPR points from week 7 to week 16 when he really took over as a lead back. But yeah, there, there, there's reasons to think he's not going to match that level of production this season. First of all, 5.4 yards per carry is a near lock to regress especially when you consider Lindsay didn't really fare well in some of the blocking independent metrics we have on pro football focus. He was just 21st among 29 qualifying running backs in missed tackles force per attempt. He was 27th among 29 in yards after contact per attempt. Royce Freeman actually bested Lindsay in both of those marks and then Royce Freeman obviously returned. So I think there's a chance he steal, steals a bigger share of the rushing workload this season. And, and I do think the change in coaching, coaching staff sort of only makes it more likely that Royce Freeman takes a bigger, bigger role just because, you know, I think it sort of opens up the competition again with the new staff there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what the new coaches mean, but it certainly changes things. Philip Lindsay is the 20, there have been 28 running backs to hit a thousand rushing yards in their rookie season since 2000. And actually, I think now that I think about that list, I think uh, Willis McGahee was one of them and he didn't actually play in his true rookie season. So uh, if it's 27 guys, either way, Lindsay and LeGarrette Blunt were the only guys in that group to fall short of 220 carries outside of LeGarrette Blunt. Every other player on that list beat Philip Lindsay by at least 30 carries and at least 22 total touches. So I'm not Lindsay is basically he's going to either have to be Jamal Charles to keep that rushing average up that per carry average up or he's going to have to get more work to put up similar numbers and at 5'8 190 he's not built for more work than that on a regular basis so I'm not specifically worried about his return from last year's wrist injury I just I would worry about him holding up over the course of a season on a lead back workload or if the team doesn't give him a lead back workload to try to save him, then I worry about him being able to produce at, you know, top 15 level with less work. Yeah. And, and the Broncos have the bodies to, you know, sort of cap his workload to say, you know, what it was last year, maybe a bit less with Freeman there with Devonte Booker there, who actually beat Philip Lindsay in targets, catches and receiving yards last season. And, you know, assuming he's still around and he is at this point, I would think he's going to continue to play a decent sized role in the passing game. Yeah, I think Philip Lindsay's best bet to stabilize his production this year would be to grow that receiving role. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, I'm not excited about Devontae Booker, but he's still there. And he even edged Philip Lindsay in Pro Football Focus receiving grade last year. It was a, a, a small difference, you know, for an undrafted rookie versus a veteran. But unless Devontae Booker disappears this year, it's tough to find the volume even there. And Royce Freeman actually even outgraded Philip Lindsay as a pass protector. So mm-hmm. we're talking about a small guy who isn't necessarily the clear quote unquote third down back for this team. Yeah. Now, now the ADP is baking in some, you know, decline in Lindsay's production. He's going running back 23. I um, you know that that's still like five or so spots higher than we have him ranked. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still avoiding him at that price tag. Yeah, I don't hate him at the depressed ADP, but I also don't love him there either because running backs are all getting pushed up the board, so you're still having to choose him over safer bets at wide receiver, for example. Royce Freeman, before he suffered an ankle sprain last year, which was the shared rookie season between uh, both him and Philip Lindsay, it was basically an even carry split. The first seven games saw Lindsay carry 75 times, uh, Royce Freeman carried 71 times. Both players were between 41% and 44% of market share in that category over that span. Uh, Lindsay led in targets 20 to six. So clearly Mm -hmm. pass catching lead over Royce Freeman, but if they're both healthy and, you know, again, we'll see what it means under a new coaching staff, but uh, if they're both healthy, I think it's going to be close to even. Yeah. Again, uh, Royce Freeman beat Philip Lindsay last year and missed tackles forced per attempt beat Philip Lindsay in yards after contact per attempt 
Um, Royce Freeman ranked 17th among 47 qualifying running backs in Pro Football Focus's elusive rating. Philip Lindsay down at 35th. Um, and and you know, the other, the Broncos used a third round pick on Royce Freeman just last year. Um, so they obviously like the guy. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Royce Freeman finishes with more carries than Philip Lindsay this season. But like you said, what caps Freeman's upside is I don't think he's going to do much in the passing game because I think Devontae Booker and Philip Lindsay are going to be, you know, preferred targets over him. Yeah, and when you throw that all into an offense that I don't expect to be very good in general, it's just not not an attractive backfield, I don't think. Devontae Booker, we mentioned, you know, did have did edge Philip Lindsay in receiving grades. Still not a strong receiving grade, though. And his carries have been cut by more than half for two straight seasons now. There is mostly a new coaching staff. The running backs coach is actually a holdover from last year's staff. However, we'll see if that's good for Booker or bad for Booker. I honestly, I hope he just disappears at this point and we get at least somebody new in there that we don't know yeah. uh, stinks yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we know at this point that Devontae Booker stinks as a runner. I do think though he's he's pretty serviceable as as a pass catcher, and that that sort of sucks because I think he is going to continue to steal targets from Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Pass catcher notes, Emmanuel Sanders up first. If healthy, he could dominate targets on this team, but he's not healthy. I mean, he suffered an Achilles tendon tear in practice leading up to week 13 last year. We'll see where he's at this summer. Uh, To this point, though, Sanders is an absolute no-touch for me in drafts. He he actually started out in like the round 8 or 9 range in ADP, which I thought was absurd. Yeah, and he's still being drafted ahead of Deshaun Hamilton, which I I think is crazy. Um, yeah, I mean Sanders Sanders was awesome last year before he got hurt. He was sitting 15th among wide receivers in PPR points um, through Week 12. But yeah, the torn Achilles in December for a guy who just turned 20 or just turned 32 years old, um, it, it's not good news. I, I sort of I'm not expecting him to be ready for Week One. We'll we'll see as we get closer. Yeah, he's the he's the kind of guy that you draft in like round 15 in August. Yeah. Um, right. Right now, there's really no case for adding him at all, even in the middle of round 12, which is where his ADP sits at this point. Yeah, and, as, and especially if you're drafting best ball leagues or not, you don't want to be taking guys who are going to be, you know, getting zeros for you for the first, you know, four to six weeks of the season or whatever it is. Right. The only guys that you even consider in that case are players who, when they return, are going to be potentially awesome, and that is not Emmanuel Sanders with Joe Flacco this year. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know. Tyree Kill comes to mind. That's maybe the only guy I'd consider drafting who's, you know, probably going to be getting zeros early on. Cortland Sutton is up next. Vic Fangio said in February, shortly after getting the job, quote, we're expecting big things from him. I disagree. Um, I, I would be more intrigued with Cortland Sutton if he had a different quarterback. He had a fine rookie season, 50% catch rate, 16.8 yards per catch, which is nice, especially with Case Keenum. So we know that Cortland Sutton can get downfield. I just don't know that he's going to be the kind of target hog that Emmanuel Sanders could be if he were healthy. Yeah, it was it was sort of an up and down rookie season for Cortland Sutton, and you know that 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 continued over the final four games with Emmanuel Sanders out. Sutton saw twenty five targets in those games when he only caught fourteen of them, and he had he had a couple decent games. You know, he had a five catch game, he had a sixty five yard one touchdown game, but he also had lines of two catches for fourteen yards and one catch for twenty five yards among those for without Sanders. So he was just inconsistent. I sort of think he might continue to be that way this season, maybe for his entire career, because I do think he's going to be that, you know, downfield threat who, you know, sort of kind of relies on touchdowns as a bigger body. Um, he, he did see 30% of his targets last year came 20 plus yards downfield. That was a top 20 rate in the league. So, you know, we'll see if the new coaching staff uses, uses him the same way, but um, you know, that, that type of usage is going to make a player inconsistent from week to week. And that's the one thing, at least, that Joe Flacco has is the big arm. So there should be some splash weeks. But specifically, that four-game span that you just mentioned, in that span, Cortland Sutton had 25 targets, as you said. Deshaun Hamilton had 38. (laughs) Tim Patrick had 30. That, for me, is a knock on Cortland Sutton because all of those guys were young receivers. Deshaun Hamilton is also a rookie uh, that season and a rookie who missed some time with injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton saw nine plus targets in each of those four games after playing sparingly through the first half of the season. Uh, Right now, Sutton's going at the end of round eight. Deshaun Hamilton's going early round 13. I'm way more interested in Hamilton at those prices. Yeah, so am I. Um, 25 catches for Deshaun Hamilton over the final four weeks of the season. That was eighth most among wide receivers. And he, he had a low catch rate. You know, he was working near the line of scrimmage, but he still ranked 20th among wideouts in PPR points over that span. He was even 29th 
in non PPR. The concern with Hamilton is last year he ba- he basically stepped right into Emmanuel Sanders' role. Over those um, final four games of the season, he ran seventy four percent of his routes from the slot, saw sixty three percent of his routes from the slot. That that's basically what Emmanuel Sanders was doing before he went down. So the the concern for me is if Sanders comes back and is able to contribute, then where does Hamilton fit into the wide receiver core? Yeah. And again, in an offense, that's not great. I mean, I'm not chasing after Hamilton. He's just the one that I'm in, the one that I'm most interested in on a team that I'm not interested in. Yep. And I don't care who ends up being the third receiver with Joe Flacco. I'm not interested in that guy at tight end, Noah Fant versus Jeff Hireman. And the question is not who's better. The question is going to be, what will the playing time breakdown look like? Hireman played 77% of the snaps over his 11 games last year. I love the big play upside on Noah Fant. I'll just have to wait and see over the summer what the playing time is going to look like, whether there's going to be enough time for him on the field. Yeah, I mean, I would think unless Fant falls on his face that he he's going to, you know, see a, a significant role right, right out of the gate. Um, it, it, he, he's interesting with Scangarello because Scangarello obviously worked with George Kittle in San Francisco the past two seasons. And there's a lot of similarities between Fant and Kittle. They you know, both come from Iowa. They both tested off the charts at the Combine. Uh, Fant was a 98th percentile athlete. Kittle, 97th percentile. Fant actually had better college produ- production than Kittle. Um, 19 touchdowns, 13.9 yards per catch over three seasons at Iowa. So I think, you know, Scangarello probably wants Fant to be his new Kittle. Yeah, I mean, Noah Fant got on the field before TJ Hawkinson after they arrived at the same time. He was a first-round pick. He continued to catch as many or more touchdowns as Hawkinson, even when Hawkinson was not redshirted. So a a terrific talent. And George Kittle was a fourth-round pick. It's easy to forget now after his breakthrough. So there's certainly a chance that Noah Fant jumps out immediately and is a fantasy factor this year. Yep, probably not a guy I'm going to be drafting when we get to lineup setting leagues, but um, definitely someone I could see becoming a spot start option this season. Who I like in Denver is nobody. Yeah, no one I'm excited about. The the two guys I'm you know willing to take shots on, especially if they maybe drop it a bit beneath ADP, would be Royce Freeman, who whose ADP sitting in the eighth round. I think he's okay there. And then Deshaun Hamilton, like you said, you know thirteenth, fourteenth round ADP. I think you know he, he he could see the volume to pay off in PPR leagues at that price tag. Yeah, I, I'm okay with both of those players at yeah. those ranges. Who I don't, I would rather draft Eli Manning than Joe Flacco. Oof. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to touch either, so I guess it doesn't matter. So yeah, not touching Flacco, and again, not touching Philip Lindsay. Um, over the past two weeks, he's been going in the late fourth round of drafts as running back 23. That's a bit early for me. Yeah, I agree. Before we get to the Chiefs, you should know that we recorded this before any of the recent Tyreek Hill news dropped. So... We did this team assuming that Tyreek Hill was going to miss at least some time and potentially the whole season. Obviously, things will change quite a bit if Tyreek Hill ends up missing no time or little time. And of course, that will probably be a whole podcast or at least a very long segment on an upcoming podcast. With that out of the way, let's get to our Chiefs analysis. Kansas City Chiefs up next. Relevant coaching changes. Nothing really on the offensive side. On defense, though, Steve Spagnola takes over for Bob Sutton as the coordinator. Switches the Chiefs defense to a 4-3 base. They added Teron Matthew and Juan Thornhill to the secondary. This defense could be interesting in fantasy, and it could be interesting early because the Chiefs open with Jacksonville, Oakland, and Baltimore the first three weeks. You know you know the deal. Chiefs defense at home. Play them all Two of those are on the road, but Baltimore is at home, so that right there is the one I'm waiting for. Yeah, Lamar Jackson at home. Give me some of that. (laughs) Projecting the pass-run split is a little easier here, I think, than other places because we've got lots of Andy Reid evidence to go on. Yeah, um, and and, you know, last year the Chiefs threw on about 60% of their snaps. That was easily the highest mark among Reid's six seasons in Kansas City now. His average over the first five was 55 0.1%. So I do have their um, pass rate coming down a bit this season, especially with the Tyreek Hill issues. Yeah, I, I stuck with, so when you throw in sacks, there's 59.5% pass for Andy Reid over the past three years in Kansas City after he was leaning more toward the run through his first three seasons there. I stuck with 59.5 to 40.5 run in projecting the Chiefs because even with Tyreek Hill gone, well, I mean, first of all, I did the projections first. 
with Tyreek Hill still in there because it was before that audio came out. I feel a little less comfy with the passing share at this point, but we're still talking about bottom half of the league in terms of passing share. And we're still talking about an offense with Patrick Mahomes and a thin backfield. So I still feel pretty good about it staying up at that range. Right. And I know right now we both have Hill projected to play six games or eight games for the Chiefs. So we're sort of hedging there. I think if he ends up getting released or, you know, suspended indefinitely, I would want to come down on that passing rate. Yeah, it would be nice to get something solid on the outlook for him. Yep. For what it's worth, Andy Reid's also, five of his final six Eagles offenses also were in the range of about 59% to 61% pass. QB notes, Patrick Mahomes was all right last year, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the guy's awesome. I'm going to be talking all this negative stuff about him just because his numbers basically have to come down from where they were last year. 5,097 passing yards were the eighth most in NFL history. His 50 passing touchdowns were the second most all-time. Mahomes just scored the most fantasy points all-time by a quarterback. So as good as the guy is, you have to you know project his numbers to come down this season. Yeah, absolutely. And specifically... Let's look at the splits with and without Kareem Hunt, who was around for 11 games last year before his his video dropped and the Chiefs dropped him. 329.8 yards, 3.4 passing touchdowns, 9.3 yards per pass attempt in 11 games with Kareem Hunt. 31.7 fantasy points per game over that span. Seven games without Kareem Hunt, including the two in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes put up 291.7 yards, 2.3 touchdowns, 7.8 yards per pass attempt. 25.8 fantasy points per game. Now, it's important to note that even that lower rate of fantasy scoring still would have led all fantasy quarterbacks last year. So Patrick Mahomes, I am not saying that he turned into an average or like low-end number one quarterback or anything. He just came back to earth a little bit. And maybe that had to do with Kareem Hunt. Maybe it was the league getting used to him. Maybe it was him wearing down a little bit. Maybe it was matchups. It really doesn't matter. It's just some evidence that even within that magical season, he came back to the pack a little bit. He still belongs up top. You'll still find him atop our QB projections, but the gap is not as large as it looked like for most of last season. Yeah, I mean, if you if you forced me to, to bet on which quarterback was going to lead you know, in fantasy points this year, I, I would say Patrick Mahomes has the best chance, but... To, for him to pay off his price tag, and you know, over the last two weeks um, on, on play draft, he's going 38th overall, so he's going early fourth round. For him to pay off that, he needs to again, you know, crush the competition in fantasy points. And I, I just, I don't expect him to do that. I think there's a bunch of guys who could threaten him to even, even be the top scoring quarterback this season. I want to see what the odds are on Deshaun Watson in that little QB bet of yours. He stays healthy. <laughs> running back notes Damian Williams he topped 13 carries just once last year with the Chiefs was non-existent of course until Kareem Hunt left did average 4.7 receptions per game over the final six though including the playoffs that was really when Damian Williams took over those final six games that would have ranked sixth among all running backs for the season those 4.7 receptions per game uh, I don't think Carlos Hyde's going to cut into that Tyreek Hill's absence leaves more targets available. So, I mean, there's even upside beyond that level for Damian Williams. So that's, I think, the biggest factor working in his favor is that receiving. Yeah, that and the fact that Andy Reid has pretty consistently produced um, high-end fantasy running backs. 20 seasons as a head coach or offensive coordinator for Reid. He's had a top 16 PPR running back in 16 of those 20 seasons. He's had a top 10 running back in 10 of those 20 seasons. So, you know, whoever's getting the ball, for Kansas City is going to be productive, especially in this offense. I do think Williams is is the best bet to get that work. Um, he is obviously still largely unproven. Um, prior to last year, he had double-digit carries in only two career games. He had hit double-digit total touches only six times. So, um, you know, he, he's, he, he's not proven, but again, he was awesome down the stretch last season. And if he does hang on to that top spot in this backfield, I think there's, there's a good bet he produces at least as a running back too. Yeah, I hit the offseason wary of him in drafts. Then all they did was add Carlos Hyde and Darwin Thompson. So that made me less wary of him. And Williams' ADP did fall from being high early. It it dipped a little bit to where he was commonly available in round four. It seems like it has climbed up again lately, though. He's RB13 right now on play draft late in round two. Uh, That's too early for me. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy, but Aaron Jones and Devontae Freeman are both going behind Damian Williams, and I like both of those guys better, so I, I haven't really been drafting much Damian Williams. 
I agree. I might have taken once or twice when he slipped for a little time, and I'm glad that that happened. Really, that's one of the reasons why it's good to do some best ball drafting throughout the offseason because you can adjust to things as they change, get your shares of guys at the right price. It's like playing the stock market. Yep, definitely. Carlos Hyde, is he the same guy he was in San Francisco? No. Is he the same guy he was early last year in Cleveland? I mean, maybe he's the same guy, but he does not face the same opportunity, doesn't have probably the same upside in terms of rushing production. He would obviously be in good shape if Damian Williams goes down, but we're we're kind of, we have our fingers crossed for that if you want value yeah. from Carlos Hyde this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, back in the day, Hyde was a really good running back and, you know, injuries probably <clears throat> capped what, what he did in San Francisco. But um, over the past two seasons now, just 3.7 yards per carry across three different teams. The guy turns 29 in September, so I don't think he's going to you know, see a big bounce back in his play. And what really kills him is that he's not good in the passing game. Um, 5.6 yards per catch for his career. Um, he's 58th in yards per target among 59 running backs who have seen 100-plus targets since Hyde entered the league in 2014. Damian Williams, by the way, is 17th among 59 running backs on that list. Now, if I'm wary of Damian Williams at running back 13 – and I still think the Chiefs will be fine on offense, even if not quite as good as last year. I, I kind of have to be okay with Carlos Hyde at his uh, round nine ADP, late round nine, which I am. I'm okay with him there. I don't think he's a screaming value, but he's just behind Jarek McKinnon and Kareem Hunt. I would take Carlos Hyde over both of those guys in best ball. Just ahead of Austin Eckler, LaShawn McCoy, Jalen Samuels, Ito Smith. Eckler is the only guy among those that I would comfortably draft ahead of Hyde. Uh, and even then, I don't think I would take the same guy every time. So I'm okay with Carlos Hyde where he's going. Yeah, I'm okay with him. Can't say I'm excited. I mean, I would much rather have Royce Freeman who's going like around earlier. And I would definitely take Hyde over Kareem Hunt. He has more value in non-PPR leagues. I think there's a chance he carves out a decent rushing role if the Chiefs don't want to put too much on Damian Williams' plate. But again, I think Hyde has really no chance to to play a big role in the passing game without an injury to Damian Williams. Mm-hmm. I certainly get more interested when Carlos Hyde slips a little bit, gets into round 10, round 11. Yeah, Darwin Thompson is uh, probably the most intriguing prospect, the most intriguing running back overall in Kansas City. Tops in the class last year in pro football focus elusive rating, 7th in breakaway percentage, 8th in yards per route run, 29th in pass blocking efficiency, which is, which is solid still. 5'8", yeah. 200 pounds, not built like a lead back but runs hard, works hard in the weight room. You can tell if you ever see him. Um, Four and a half second 40 gives him below average speed score, but he also tested quite well on the bench, vert, and broad jump. An intriguing guy. Yeah, and the tape was awesome, and the the PFF elusive rating stuff backs that up, and he he tested well enough. The concerns, he's small, like you said. He had just that one big year of college production, and he he fell into the sixth round. So he's still... A long shot, but landing in Kansas City definitely made him more intriguing, especially with, you know, there being nothing proven and or, you know, still good. Talking about Carlos Hyde ahead of him on the depth chart. I think there, there's a chance for Thompson to carve out a role this season. The Chiefs also signed James Williams as an undrafted free agent. Um, he, he was a guy I think a lot of people expected to get drafted, maybe, you know, even in the, the middle rounds. He put up big pass catching numbers in college. So he's a guy to keep an eye on, too. Yeah, 202 receptions over the past three years. I think the fact that he went undrafted confirmed how we felt about him as a lackluster prospect. Given that, I'm going to need to see him prove that he belongs there before I'm factoring him into the fantasy picture. I think with Darwin Thompson, yeah, I I agree that he's a long shot and I wouldn't raise my expectations too high. I do think that he's the kind of player in the kind of situation where if he gets like a game at some point where he happens to get 12 carries – or something like that, he could do things in that game that make the Chiefs say, wow, we got to keep this guy involved more going forward. Yeah, to me, the best comparison for Darwin Thompson is uh, Terry Cohen. And there's obviously some connection there with with Matt Nagy in Chicago who who, who worked under Andy Reid. Pass catcher notes, we got to start with Tyreek Hill. If he's not reinstated, he leaves behind 23.5% of last year's targets. That was 137 total. Plus 22 carries, uh, that's easy to overlook. Mm-hmm. So we go first to Mecole Hardman. The Chiefs moved up to draft him in round two, probably view him as similar to Hill. Same size, same speed, 4-3-3 for Hardman versus 4-3-4 for Tyreek Hill. 
uh, was a strong punt returner last year, 20.1 yards per return, ran the ball a little bit, but just 60 college receptions after after he played quarterback in high school and then started out as a defensive back at Georgia. So I think it's unlikely that Hardman jumps right into a reliable contributor role as a fantasy wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, I, I it seems like the Chiefs want him to, so I guess there's a chance. But yeah, I agree. I mean, just just two years of experience as a wide receiver now, you know, trying to make the jump to the NFL. I I I I'm not betting on Hardman being ready for it this season. Of course, I mean, the type of player he is, and in this offense, he could you know be a guy who is more of a gadget type this season, and you know maybe make some big plays. So I guess he's he's okay in best ball, but he's also he's just he's being drafted too early for me to ever be interested in him. He's going in the early eighth round of drafts. Yeah, I mean, I think his best hope is Tyreek Hill's rookie year, yeah. where he caught 61 balls. He was less than 10 yards per catch, but scored six touchdowns there, had another three rushing touchdowns. Uh, it, but the thing that you need to remember is Tyreek Hill has spent the past three years doing unlikely things. He hasn't been likely to keep up the touchdown rate that he has. He has not been likely to hit the catch rates that he has. He's not been likely to to score as many rushing touchdowns as he has. So it's less likely that a different guy comes in and does the same stuff. Yeah, I mean, Hill's Hill's a generational talent. Just because Hardman's the same size and has the same speed doesn't mean he's going to put up the same type of numbers even in the same offense. Right. Sammy Watkins, however, is in a great spot. 20.1% of Chiefs targets in his 10 full games last year, the first with the team, including the playoffs. Over that same span, over those same 10 games, Tyreek Hill saw 21.2% of the targets, so very close to each other when they shared the field. Watkins has lost 18 games, of course, to injury over his five seasons in the NFL, but he's also played 13-plus games in three of his five seasons. So I think that the injury factor tends to be a bit overrated with him a bit. He did play 15 games for the 2017 Rams. He's going to frustrate you at times, but when he's on the field, Watkins has averaged 15.4 yards per catch across three teams now, 12.1% TD rate. And last year, he even added five carries for 52 yards with the Chiefs. Yeah, and he's still only like 26 years old or something. So I I think, you know, I I think assuming Hill misses some time and you know again he might not be with the Chiefs or he might be spending the entire season we don't know at this point but I think when when Hill's not on the field and Watkins is Watkins could produce as a wide receiver one this season in in his eight healthy regular season games last year so I'm, I'm omitting the six games he missed and the two games he left early he scored as wide receiver 24 in PPR points and that was on 19.5 percent of the targets with all those targets Hill is leaving behind you know Watkins could get up to 22 23 percent of the targets and in this offense with a guy I still think is as talented as he is again I think you know he, he could score as a top 12 wide receiver this season yeah I agree uh and there's really not a whole lot else there I mean Demarcus Robinson's the next name worth mentioning but yeah. he's, not, he's not a special prospect on speed or athleticism he did lead his final two Florida teams in catches in college put up a nice line in 2014, but then Antonio Callaway stole some yards and touchdowns from his final year. Uh, Demarcus Robinson's been a limited participant in the offense the past two years. Actually spent just 19% of the snaps in the slot last year, 19% of his snaps in the slot last year. Played a lot less there than Tyreek Hill and Chris Conley did, and even played a lot less there than Sammy Watkins did. So it's going to be interesting to see how they align everybody when they go to their multi-receiver sets. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Robinson's an exciting prospect, but you just think about this Chiefs passing game, and then you have, again, Tyreek Hill. We don't know what his status is. Sammy Watkins has had the injury issues. Nicole Hardman, we don't you know think he's ready for a big role. Um, you know, Robinson might sort of be forced into significant snaps in this passing game, and I think that alone makes him worth a shot late in, late in drafts. Yeah, certainly at best ball time. I've, I've added him at the end of the draft a couple of times. And then, I mean, Travis Kelsey, we left to this point because you don't really have to say a whole lot about him. He doesn't need a sales pitch, doesn't need an intro. Top fantasy tight end for three straight years now. Last year, Zach Ertz beat him by 13 catches, and Kelsey still averaged one more PPR point per game than Ertz did. Um, Tyreek Hill's departure, I think, means that Kelsey's upside reaches as high as 30-plus percent market share. Yeah, I mean, that that's the question with Kelsey is just how high can his ceiling climb? His 296.6 PPR points last year were already 
the fourth most by a tight end in NFL history. Only eight wide receivers scored more PPR points last season. So he, he was like, you know, having a wide receiver one in your tight end spot. He saw 150 targets already. That was second most among tight ends, 25.7% target share. Can that target share get up to 30%? I guess it's possible. Um, and, and if it does, you know, again, he, he could be even better than he was last year. Who I like, Sammy Watkins at wide receiver 19. Uh, frankly, I think Sammy Watkins could miss two games if there's no Tyree kill and still finish as wide receiver 19. Yep, I'm definitely drafting Watkins there again. I, I think he could produce as a top 12 guy if he stays relatively healthy this season. I agree, especially right now when I'm looking for weekly upside. He looks even better. Who I don't like, we already mentioned him, Nicole Hardman, early round eight. Right behind him, Dante Pettis, Sterling Shepard, Christian Kirk, and then a couple players behind that, my boy Kiki Cutie, not taking Hardman over any of those fellas. Yep, those guys, Marvin Jones, D.D. Westbrook, Curtis Samuel, all going behind Nicole Hardman. I like those guys easily over the rookie. Um, and Patrick Mahomes going 38th overall. Um, I'm not touching him there. You know, he, he's going two full rounds ahead of Andrew Luck, almost three full rounds ahead of Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. I think you know all three of those guys have a chance to outscore Mahomes this season. Yeah, I'll say this, that when we're in best ball time where we're looking for ultimate weekly upside, I, I don't mind taking Mahomes here and there where he falls to late round four into round five. Yeah, I, I think Watson is going to bring just as much weekly upside this season. And again, he's going three rounds later. I agree with that. It's basically me not wanting to have no Mahomes teams. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, on to the Chargers. No coaching changes. I don't have anything worth noting on the staff about you. Yeah, so it's, it's Ken Wisenhunt who has spent the last three seasons with the Chargers, and he also was the offensive coordinator in 2013 with the Chargers. So we have four seasons there. Their, their ranks in pass rate under Ken Wisenhunt, 26th in 2013, but they've been 13th, 10th, and 18th over the past three seasons, average pass rate over that time, 56.6%. So I went I went with that as their uh, run-pass split projection for this season. Yeah, I have it at 58-42, I think, with our differences and in including sacks. It's probably about the same. I, I expect the team to contend again, so I don't think they're going to have to throw the ball a whole lot, and I think they would rather stay below 60%. Yeah, my other note on Wisenhunt, um, which could be good news for the Chargers offense this season. Um, so in – Wisenhunt's first three seasons with the Chargers, the Chargers ranked 15th, 17th, and 15th in offensive snaps. Last season, they fell all the way to 28th. Um, so I, I think there could be some bounce back there, more play volume for the Chargers this season. Phillip Rivers is coming off one of his best passing seasons. Uh, fewest pass attempts since 2009, but his second best completion rate ever, his second best touchdown rate, his most yards per attempt since 2010. He tied for his best career passer rating and posted his third best QBR. All those despite his sack rate nearly doubling from the previous year. I think that Phillip Rivers should get a little help this year with Hunter Henry being healthy, assuming he makes mm-hmm. the season healthy. Let me go ahead and knock on wood there. Does lose Tyrell Williams, but I think there's enough around it at wide up. Yeah, I think, you know, Mike Williams still ascending and getting Hunter Henry back more than offsets the loss of Tyrell Williams. Phillip Rivers... Finished 10th among quarterbacks in fantasy points last year. He's been top 11 in six straight seasons. So he's about as safe as it's been as far as, you know, getting at least low end quarterback one production. Um, Rivers fantasy finishes in his four seasons under Ken Wisenhunt have gone 10th, 7th, 8th, and 5th. Nice. Yeah. I, and and yet we still don't have him projected that high. It's just there's too many quarterbacks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, on to running back where... No team last season delivered more top 24 PPR weeks at running back than the Chargers, who had 21 of those. Uh, Melvin Gordon had 11 of them in just 12 games. He had 1.2 more yards per carry than his previous high, up to 5.1 from a 3.9 previous high. And that's despite a long run of just 34 yards, so he didn't beef it up with one big play. 0.6 more receptions per game for Melvin Gordon than his previous high. That number has increased each year of his career. He tied for 15th among all running backs in total receptions, despite missing four games and despite Austin Eckler emerging. On the passing front, only the Patriots and Saints threw a larger chunk of their pass attempts at running backs than the Chargers did. Yeah, Gordon was just awesome last year. You know, had had the big volume, like you've mentioned. Um, Finished seventh in PFF's elusive rating. Garnered PFF's top rushing grade among all running backs. Um, and then in the passing game, he finished fifth in yards per target among 31 running backs who saw 40-plus targets. He was fifth among those 31 in yards per route run. 
Um, he ended up finishing eighth among running backs in PPR points, fifth in PPR points per game. And Gordon's now been a top eight running back in three straight seasons. Um, I, I think, you know, still in his prime, returning to the same offense. The only concern are the injury issues. He's missed nine games over four NFL seasons. Yeah, I, honestly, he, he probably should be looked at as the Sammy Watkins of running backs, but he's not because when he's on the field, he's scoring. Yeah. I, I just think back to like DFS last year and like we were basically considering Gordon in the same like tiers like Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott when he was healthy. Um, yeah, the only downside here, lost two plus games to lower body injuries in three of his four seasons. Um, yep. It's it's an issue, but it's an issue we can work with. Austin Eckler, uh, eight top 24 PPR finishes in his 14 games. By comparison, uh, his percentage of eight out of 14 games, it tied Lamar Miller's percentage in that category, and it beat Marlon Mack, who had six such games in 12 total outings. Austin Eckler loaded up on touches when Melvin Gordon was out, though, had Played in three games without Gordon, plus week 12, which Gordon left early. In those four games, Eckler tallied 45 carries, which were 42.5% of his season total, and 31 targets, which was 58.5% of his season total. Yeah, I, I just I just never draft guys like Eckler who you know ha- have the big efficiency, and maybe he'll remain that efficient just because the type of player he is and how the Chargers use him. But the guys only reach double-digit targets in – five games alongside a healthy Melvin Gordon over the past two seasons. It's, it's it's always tough for me to trust someone with, you know, that little volume, at least in lineup setting leagues. I think, you know, he, he makes more sense in best ball where you can just capitalize when he does, you know, bust off a big play or whatever. You meant double digit carries, right? Not targets. Uh, double digit touches. So carry carries plus catches. Gotcha. I, yeah. I, I'm not excited about drafting Austin Eckler. I do think it's more attractive in best ball season when you don't have to decide whether to start him. But he, he he's an attractive handcuff in that he can be usable even when Melvin Gordon's on the field, even if he, he started last season a bit overrated on that front. Yeah. Justin Jackson's interesting to watch, but he topped Eckler in carries only once last year in games they shared. Never topped Eckler in targets. Looks like the clear third guy here. And for me, Justin Jackson's a waiver wire player, a pickup if and when uh, Melvin Gordon goes down. Yep, I agree. Not not worth drafting, but I think if Melvin Gordon does miss time this season, that you know Jackson, they're they're not going to give the ball to Eckler twenty plus times. It's you know going to be closer to a fifty fifty split. I think. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Jackson's also a pickup if Austin Eckler gets hurt at some point this year. Yeah. Pass catcher notes: Keenan Allen's up first. Seven game touchdown list streak early last year had people wondering if he was falling off a cliff. Then he scored a touchdown in five straight games, and we were all happy again. Um, Keenan Allen's red zone targets, though, did drop from 21 in 2017 to just 14 last year, uh, according to Pro Football Reference. He did score five touchdowns, though, in the red zone, compared with four the season before, despite that drop in red zone targets. And that drop in targets came despite Phillip Rivers throwing just one fewer red zone pass in 2018 than he did in 2017. I think that it's not likely that Keenan Allen's going to see a big bounce back in that area because Mike Williams is in the picture and because Hunter Henry's return further complicates that. All That said, Keenan Allen was fourth in the league in terms of team target share last year. Yeah. I'm not worried about him overall. Yeah, he, he was up over uh, 26% of the targets last year after being at uh, a bit over 27% in 2017 and the Chargers lost a combined 110 targets with Tyrell Williams off to uh, Oakland and Antonio Gates gone and I think most of those 110 go to Hunter Henry who's returning and Mike Williams probably picks up a chunk of those too but I I don't see Keenan Allen's target share declining much if at all this year. Yeah I agree. Mike Williams scored on 23.3% of his receptions last year. No other wide receiver with 40 or more catches topped 17.5% in that category. Tyrell Williams leaves 12.7% of last year's targets behind. Just one fewer total target than Mike Williams had last year. But Mike Williams is going wide receiver 23 and play a draft, probably because of that touchdown rate, and that is too high for me. Yeah, I couldn't believe when I looked up his ADP and he was going that high. I know I hadn't drafted him, um, but I am surprised he's going that high. Yeah, the touchdown rate is going to come way down. He should see more targets this season, but um, yeah, wide receiver 23, I think he, he's going to you know need to score at, a, at an insane rate to, to pay off that price tag. Travis Benjamin seems likely to settle in as the wide receiver three this time. He's a thin speedster. 
Um, I think he's a late best ball option. He's playing with the right quarterback for some scoring upside there, but that's about it for me. He's not going to be a, a lineup setting option for me. Yeah, definitely not. I haven't even honestly considered him in uh, basketball, but I guess, you know, he does make some sense there as a big play guy. And Hunter Henry's last on my list among the pass catchers. Henry plus Antonio Gates in 2017, 19.6% of Chargers targets. In 2016, they combined for 25% of Chargers targets. Now, is Antonio Gates finally gone or is he going to pop back up when the season starts? Yeah, I guess we, I guess we can't be sure until we get to week one and he's he's not in uniform. Um, but I, I think you know the, the Chargers, if they're smart, they're going to hand it over to Hunter Henry. Um, he, he you know in the two years we've seen him, he's been super efficient. He was playing be you know besides Gates those two seasons, so he didn't put up huge fantasy numbers. But he averaged nine point two yards per target across two thousand sixteen and two thousand seventeen. That was third best among 53 tight ends with 50-plus targets in those two seasons, behind only Rob Gronkowski and Vernon Davis. So if, if this guy's you know, finally going to approach or even exceed 100 targets, which I think he will, um, you know, he's, he's definitely right in that mix, I think, to be the tight end four behind Kelsey Ertz and Kittle. Yeah, and he amassed 28, uh, I'm sorry, 29 red zone targets across those two seasons, according to Pro Football Reference, despite sharing the field with Antonio Gates. So I think that Hunter Henry looked like their likely leader in that area. Uh, he's had a 14.8% touchdown rate so far. I expect that Hunter Henry is going to remain the kind of player who gives above average touchdown rates. And that is why I am plenty happy to take him in round six as the sixth tight end off the board. Yeah, and it's it's nice that, you know, we, we saw him back on the field in the playoffs last year. Not that he, you know, did much, but the fact that he he played tells me that that knee really shouldn't be an issue anymore. I agree. And he he's my who I like. Who do you get? Um, yeah, I mean, I like a lot of guys here. Hunter, Hunter Henry's on my list. Philip Rivers in the 12th round, just another of the you know handful of quarterbacks that you like in that range. Um, Keenan Allen is going in the mid-third round as wide receiver 12. I just think he's a super safe pick there. You know, if you, if you start two running backs. Um, I think, you know, grabbing Keenan Allen in the third, especially in a PPR league is, is, is a great pick. Yeah. He makes it easier to take a second running back in round two. If you're worried about what's going to make it back to you, if he's still sitting yeah. there. Yep. Who I don't, it's not a surprise. It's Mike Williams anywhere in wide receiver two range. I'm not touching him. Yep. He's, he's about 15 spots higher in ADP than he is in our wide receiver ranking. So not even close. That's gross. On to the Raiders to wrap up the division where no big coaching changes. No, nothing really worth mentioning at all because last year was the, the John Gruden arrival. They did hook everybody's favorite draft analyst, Mike Mayock, though, as a brand new GM. So we'll, we'll see how he fares. Yeah, we'll see how Mayock fares. Um, you know, Gruden, he, he's an offensive-minded head coach, but you know, his results aren't great if you just look at his his 15 seasons as a head coach or offensive coordinator. Um his offenses have only finished in the top half of the league in total yards in seven of 15 seasons, top half of the league in points in only four of his 15 seasons. So, you know, not, not anything to be super excited about there. Yeah. I, I think his reputation got built up in Philly and then it kind of grew out of control in Oakland. And then, I mean, when he won a Super Bowl in Tampa, that just sealed right. him as being overrated forever after that. Yep. On the projected pass run split, uh, offensive coordinator Greg Olson's in his second year with Oakland. It's his second stint with Oakland. He has coached four straight offenses to more than 60% passing. I'm sure that the Marshawn, injury, Marshawn Lynch injury last year did not help. Uh, I'm sure that losing 12 games didn't help them run the ball at all. I don't expect the Raiders to be a ton better in 2019. And I still think that the backfield is unimpressive behind Josh Jacobs. They threw a bunch of money at Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams. I'm at 60.6% pass for my projections. That's the average of the 11 offenses that Olsen has coordinated across five teams. Uh, I would not be surprised even if they climb a little bit above that. I wouldn't be surprised if this offense is like in the top three or or five in pass rate Mm -hmm. after making those big investments in Brown and uh, Tyrell Williams. Yeah, I agree. QB notes, Derek Carr. I know he's one of your favorites. Uh, (laughs) rate has fallen three straight years. 6.7 6.7 career yards per attempt, which is Flacco-ian. Even 7.3 yards per attempt last year for Carr ranked him just 20th in the league, so it hasn't been a strong suit for him. PFF grade rebounded a, a bit in 27, or I'm sorry, in 2018 after it dipped big time from 2016 to 2017. His sack rate spiked last year to a career high 8.4%. They're going to need to protect him better no matter who they have at receiver for him. 
But obviously, the reason to pay some attention to Derek Carr now is because they added Antonio Brown. Yeah, Carr's never finished better than 14th among quarterbacks in fantasy points through five seasons. I think he obviously has his best chance to do that this year. Like you mentioned, the yards per attempt was disappointing last year, despite him completing about 69% of his passes. And the reason the yards per attempt was so low is because Derek Carr wasn't throwing downfield. Only 9.2% of his passes traveled 20-plus yards downfield. That percentage was dead last among 29 qualifying quarterbacks. I think at least part of that was due to the fact that he just had no one to throw downfield to. You know, once Amari Cooper left, he was, you know, working with Jordy Nelson as his top wide receiver. Carr was decent when he did throw downfield. His 49% accuracy rate on throws 20 plus yards downfield was fifth best in the NFL. So with Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams there, who have been two of the better deep ball receivers in the league, I think you, you we should see Carr's yards per attempt climb quite a bit this year. It's also hard to throw downfield through your tiers. And it's well documented that Derek Carr cries anytime there's pressure. <laughs> That's true. Um, I was surprised to see, and I didn't review it for this podcast. It was something previous, but I was surprised to see that Derek Carr has been similar to Philip Rivers in terms of downfield passing success over their shared time in the league. So he's probably better in that area than he gets credit for really hasn't had a whole lot to throw to in that area outside of Amari Cooper yeah and the, the final I think the final thing sort of working in Carr's favor this year is he, he should be a positive touchdown regression candidate um, career low 19 passing touchdowns last season career low 3.4 percent touchdown rate he averaged 25.8 touchdown passes and a 4.6 percent touchdown rate over his first four years and again you know he has his best weaponry that he's had since entering the league this year so it wouldn't be surprising if he set a career high in touchdowns and touchdown rate yeah and had a really crappy crew to work with last year after Harry Cooper left yep running back notes Josh Jacobs uh after drafting him Mike Mayock called him a three down back praised his explosiveness his toughness his pass protection his quote good natural hands as a receiver Jacobs averaged 5.9 yards per rush, 11.9 yards per catch in college. Limited work at Alabama, of course, because it was a loaded backfield. I'm not going to hold that against him now, and he sure seems to be headed for a lot more work right away. Right. I mean, being a first-round pick makes him a good bet for volume this season. Um, Jacobs was the 16th running back to go in the first round over the past 10 drafts. The previous 15, that group averaged 226 touches in their rookie years, nine of the 15, so 60% of them saw 215 plus touches, six of the 15, which is 40%, saw 250 plus. And you you look at what else is in Oakland's backfield. And I think Jacob's a good bet as long as he stays healthy for, you know, that 215 touch mark. And I think he has a chance to see 250 plus. Jalen Richard, the 10th most receptions among all running backs over the past two years, surprisingly. John Gruden has compared him to Charlie Garner, which I'm going to disagree with. In terms of the work that he can hope to get in 2019, I think Jalen Richard's in worse shape after Josh Jacobs' arrival than he was at this time last year with Marshawn Lynch and Doug Martin ahead of him. Yeah, like you said, uh, Gruden called Jacobs a three-down back. He was good in the passing game at Alabama, looked good uh, as a pass catcher on tape. Um, so I think he's going to cut into Richard's targets probably quite a bit. Although Richard was really good last season in the passing game. He, he ranked second among running backs in yards per route run. Um, PFF graded him as the seventh best pass catching running back. So he, he can definitely do it. I just think that the Raiders want Jacobs to, you know, take on as much as he can handle. I, I agree. And I, I, I think the Jalen Richard could be interesting if Jacobs goes down at some point, but otherwise is, is bench fodder. Yeah. Unfortunately I was drafting him like everywhere early. Um, Because he was going, you know, like 13th, 14th round in PPR leagues, which was crazy. But I think, you know, even at at that price now, I don't think I'd take him just because I don't think the targets are going to be there. Yeah, I would take I would take him in 13, 14th round range, but certainly not earlier. Yeah. DeAndre Washington, Doug Martin, Chris Warren are also in the backfield right now. We'll see which of them doesn't make it to the regular season. Isaiah Crowell is not going to make it to the regular season because he suffered. What was it? An Achilles tear for him? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's really not a whole lot else to say about this backfield, I don't think. If Josh Jacobs goes down, it's going to be ugly. Right. I mean, I would think Martin hangs around as sort of the the handcuff to Jacobs in case he um, misses time because Richard and DeAndre Washington are, you know, lead backs. I think that they hope Chris Warren makes Doug Martin expendable this summer. Could be. Yeah, could be. Pass catcher notes, Jared Cook and Jordy Nelson left behind 189 targets from last year's team. Antonio Brown about to soak up all of those. Um, six straight years 
with at least 154 targets, 101 catches, 1,297 yards, and eight touchdowns. That is a line of his low points over the past six years, and that line would have ranked among the top 10 fantasy wideouts last season. The Raiders threw 133 fewer passes in 2018 than Pittsburgh did. It's going to be a tougher situation for Antonio Brown to score, but he should dominate targets in Oakland. Yeah, and uh, John Gruden has a nice history with his top wide receivers. Um, if we throw out last year when you know Amari Cooper was the top guy for half the season and then he was dealt away and it was Jordy Nelson. So throw that year out. In Gruden's other 14 seasons, his lead wideout has garnered a 25.8% target share. That would have ranked ninth among wide receivers last year. Um, the lead wideouts averaged 137 targets. That would have ranked 11th among wide receivers last year. And the lead wideouts have averaged 79 catches, 1,142 yards, 7.4 touchdowns. Nice numbers there. 10 of the 14 lead wideouts under Gruden finished top 14 among wide receivers in PPR points, and seven of the 14 finished inside the top 10. And Antonio Brown is probably better than just about all of them. So. Yep even though he's playing his first season without Ben Roethlisberger and we'll have to see what that means. He, he's good enough to go ahead and bet on and he's going in round two now, middle to late round two, as opposed yep. to round one. Yeah, I think Brown's fine where he's going. I mean, if you look at his career numbers without Ben Roethlisberger, they're bad, but those games have also come with Charlie Batch, Michael Vick, and Landry Jones at quarterback. You know, even, even people who don't like Derek Carr would say he's quite a bit better than all those three guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrell Williams averaging 16.3 yards per catch for his career, an 11% touchdown rate. Uh, might have a tough time reaching the 119 targets that he did back in 2016 with the Chargers when he broke out. That was when Keenan Allen missed almost the entire season. But I think Tyrell Williams should climb way past the 69 and 65 targets that he drew the past two seasons. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think he can get close to that 119 because, again, I do think the Raiders are going to be a pass-heavy offense. And, I mean, Antonio Brown's obviously going to dominate targets, but behind him, I mean, there's not much at wide receiver. There's really nothing proven at tight end. So I think Williams can, you know, see 20 or so percent of the targets. And he has been super efficient. He's fifth in yards per target among 68 wide receivers with 100-plus catches since 2016. The, the problem, like you said, with the Chargers the past two seasons has just been volume. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all that. I project him for 97 targets, and I don't even think you have to get him beyond that to make him a value, as we'll get to in a minute. Um, yep. So I, I'm with you on on Tyrell Williams. I'm trust, I'm believing in Tyrell Williams this year. Yep. Ryan Grant, he's an upgrade over Seth Roberts, probably, and that's about all I have to say about him. Yeah, so uh, they have Ryan Grant, they drafted Hunter Renfro, um, they signed J.J. Nelson, they made a bunch of additions, but I, I don't think any of these guys are going to see enough targets to be to be a fantasy factor. I agree, and I think that the tight ends are even more forgettable with Jared Cook gone. I mean, Darren Waller is interesting to me. I'm keeping an eye on him. Um, you know, he, he, he was a wide receiver in college, um, transitioned to tight end in Baltimore in 2016. You know, ha- hasn't done anything at the NFL level, but he has an opportunity here. And there have been some positive reports on him this spring. So he's a guy I'm going to be watching uh, once training camp gets going. I mean, I will be aware of him, but Baltimore <laughs> moved him to tight end and then decided that they didn't feel like bothering with him with him any longer when they yeah. were using the likes of Max Williams and uh, whatever was left of Dennis Pitta and drafting the guys that they drafted last year. Yeah, Walrus Wal- had injury issues. I think he's been suspended twice for like performance-enhancing drugs. So it's 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 been rough so far. But again, he has an opportunity here, and he at least has the size and athleticism that we sort of want out of a fantasy tight end. I don't think he's been using the right performance enhancers so far. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Who I like is Tyrell Williams. He is wide receiver 52 on play draft right now. He is going two full rounds behind DK Metcalf which I think is absurd, at least at this point in the year. Yeah, I think Williams might be the biggest value at wide receiver in drafts right now. He's 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 going nearly 20 spots lower than we have him ranked. Yeah, I, I'm all over him. Anybody yeah. else for you in the who I like range? I, I think Josh Jacobs is fine in the late third round. He's running back 18. That's about where he, we have him ranked. Um, again, I think he's he, he's going to get the volume. If he stays healthy, it'll sort of be tough for him to really bust. Derek Carr, 14th round. You know, if you're looking for that late quarterback, too, again, I think he's 
okay just because of the the weapons they have around him now. Yeah, I mean, he's if nothing else, he's one of those guys where you say, oh, do I need to go ahead and grab my second quarterback now? Nah, I can wait because Derek Carr and Andy Dalton are still sitting there. Yep. Who I don't like, I, there's really nobody that I hate because there's there aren't players going too early because nobody's yeah. excited about the Raiders. You mentioned Josh Jacobs. I agree with you. I think at RB18, late in round three, he's okay. I haven't taken him since he got into round three because he's sitting right ahead of Aaron Jones and carry on Johnson, but I'm not going to tell anybody that he's a bad pick right there. Yep, exactly. I sort of feel the same way about Antonio Brown. Um, late second round ADP, I can't argue with it. Um, he's he's going to get the volume. There's just some guys I prefer. I mean, I, I prefer Mike Evans, who's going behind Antonio Brown. Um, so he, he's just a guy I haven't taken yet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out our projections for every player that we mentioned in this show, as well as the three previous shows in this series. You can find each of those episodes on DraftSharks.com now or wherever you get your podcasts. We will soon have our player profiles loaded for every relevant fantasy option on DraftSharks.com. Become a DS Insider today so that you can dig into exactly who to draft, when, and why. Jared, I don't think that they're going to find anyone who digs deeper into these decisions than we do. Uh, no, these these uh, take up, what, the better part of like a month and a half? So much time. For, for all of us to do, yeah. So yeah, Re- please read them. Yes, please. You can also <laughs> find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShopDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 